Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA. We've got a lot to cover on today's show. In segment two, we're going to be hearing from Darren Domi. He's a managing partner at the Powerline Group, and he is a crude oil expert. He lives and breathes this market. We're going to talk about just what's happening in the oil and energy spaces. And then in segment three, Arlen Suderman from Stonex will be joining us. We've got the markets moving here on this Thursday. We've got big gains in soybeans and more big gains in the wheat market. Arlen, I'm sure, will share his thoughts on all of those factors. And in segment four, we're going to hear a little bit of a panel I had the chance to be a part of in Washington, D.C. about biofuels. We'll hear from Scott Faber from the Environmental Working Group in segment four. So do stay with us. A lot is coming on today's show. Before we jump into all of that, though, I want to pick up the threads of a legal drama that has been with the ag industry for some time. Todd Neely, DTN staff reporter at DTN, has been covering this. And Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. This is the case, the ADM case. ADM is being sued. It's alleged they were manipulating the ethanol market. Todd, this started a few years ago. If you would, let's start at the beginning. What prompted this lawsuit? Yeah, you know, Mike, it really is a complicated and long story. But just to sum it up, um, there are some allegations made by a number of of parties. Uh, We've got ethanol producers from across Iowa and Wisconsin. We have uh, Green Plains Energy, which is based here in Nebraska. Um, and then we have AOT Holdings, which is a uh, some sort of a hedge group. I'm not real sure exactly what they do, but um, all of these people have, have been suing ADM, uh, alleging that ADM took some actions uh, at the Argo Terminal, which is uh, a key terminal for, for ethanol uh, and the ethanol market. Um, you know, ethanol prices are, are essentially set there. There's a lot of things that uh, that flow through that terminal. Prices um, are the big thing, but generally these people have alleged that ADM uh, in some way manipulated the market there uh, and benefited from the manipulation of that market. And so uh, we have a lot of cases that are playing out. Uh, we have, I think, a number, I think there's four cases now. Um, and so we've seen a lot happening, and especially this week we had uh, a court hand down an order in Illinois um, alleging that, I'm sorry, basically asking ADM, ordering ADM to turn over documents related to a couple of employees who are at the center of uh, this entire case. And so um, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of allegations being made in court, and we're still probably a ways away from an actual trial. Interesting. This thing has been going on at least since 2020. Todd, as as these allegations have come out, what is it that they're alleging ADM did at the Argo terminal? How were they able to manipulate the market? Do we have a sense as to the the mechanics of what they were alleged to be up to? Uh, That's a really difficult question to ask, uh, to answer, Mike. I think at this point, uh, a lot of it has to do with hedging. A lot of it has to do with uh, uh, controlling, you know, setting the, basically ADM has been accused of setting the prices at, at the terminal. Um, and they do this by, uh, whether it be flooding the market with, with ethanol. I mean, there's a lot of ways that, that the allegations claim that it was done. Um, I think the one thing that's probably going to be most interesting about this case, uh, once and if it, it gets to a trial is to really hear that the nuts and bolts of what happened. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of court documents that have been filed so far. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of complications that are raised uh, in court. Uh, it's just not something that uh, you know it's easy to boil down. Other than to say that uh, right now a lot of companies are after ADM on this, and it's really um, so far nothing. Uh, you know we're we're still moving toward a trial, so it's not um, you know it's not something that's going away anytime soon. And that's interesting because I know there were a few cases, there was a class action that the courts threw out covering this issue, but it sounds like with with this request to turn over documents related to the employee, Todd, it sounds like this case is at least continuing to move forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this is a really key moment in, in this entire drama. Um, you know, we've got allegations that a couple of employees on the inside uh, not only were uh, doing things, taking actions that led to ADM controlling this ethanol market in some ways, uh, but there's other allegations that came out this week, um, in particular that they were actually ordered by higher-ups to do this. Um, and so that raises a lot of a lot of new questions that are uh, that are probably still yet to be answered. But I do think that uh, we're certainly moving toward a trial. I, I don't think there's any question of that. I think there's a lot here, um, and I think what we're going to see in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years, uh, we're going to see it all unfold in court. Todd, the plaintiffs, Green Plains, AOT, the ethanol plants across Iowa and Wisconsin. As this case moves forward, are they looking mainly for financial reimbursement if the alleged uh, misdeeds happened, or are they looking for changes to the industry? What What is a successful resolution for the plaintiffs? Well, you know, we've got a couple different things going on. Uh, Green Plains in Omaha, uh, they had originally sued as, a, as an antitrust lawsuit. That case actually was thrown out. Uh, they refiled a lawsuit here in Nebraska, uh, basically seeking damages for their individual company and the losses that they that they allege occurred because of this. Uh, so that's one case. That case has been moved from Nebraska to Illinois, where we've had AOT and, and all these other ethanol plants uh, still moving on with their cases. Um, what we see the difference between the Green Plains and those companies is the fact that the antitrust allegations are still ongoing uh, with with AOT and the other ethanol companies. And so we've got two different things going on. We've got Green Plains seeking uh, company damages, and then we have these other companies that are basically suing, uh, alleging uh, um, misconduct under the Commodity Exchange Act. Uh, so there's two different things going on. They're kind of all uh, condensed in the same court. But I think ultimately we, uh, you know, these companies are, are seeking damages and they're seeking to hold ADM accountable, however that might look. Oh boy, there is a lot to see coming forward. Todd, <laughs> I do know that there is a trial set in 2024 related to ADM. Is that is that tied into this case? Yeah, it's the same case. It's AOT and, and the other ethanol producers. And that's that's the thing. Uh, now that these cases cases have been combined in Illinois, um, there's, you're going to see a lot of different things going on in each one of these cases that are all related together. And so it's, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, like I said, Green Plains has a different, uh, you know, they're seeking actual monetary damages and other things. Um, and so it, it's really uh, it's really interesting to see how the court's going to handle this. It will be indeed. And Todd, I imagine you will continue covering this story as it moves forward. So we'll be looking to touch base with you and get updates as this legal drama continues to unfold. Thanks for joining us today. Todd, always appreciate your insights. Yeah, appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick with us here on AOA. We're going to be covering some more of the issues that certainly matter to agriculture. Darren Domi from the Powerline Group will be joining me in segment two, and we're going to talk about this high price of diesel and whether or not any relief might be on the horizon. So stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. 
Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, it's interesting. Today is March 5th, 2022, and I don't think this is going to be a news to a lot of you folks tuning in, but according to AAA, today, May 5th, 2022, is the highest price ever recorded for the average diesel price around the country. AAA has it pegged at $5.47.5 right now today. Fuel prices are crazy and they have been for some time this market has been highly volatile we have turned to our friend darren domi a managing partner at the powerline group several times for his insight on these markets and he's joining us again today darren thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today mike thanks for having me let's talk first about this diesel fuel situation darren what are the factors that are making diesel move so much higher relative to the price of crude than i, I would have expected watching this market Oh, Mike, we're just in a in a bad situation, and it just continues to get worse. Uh, Russia continues to uh, sanctions continue to take a, a stronger hold on Russia, which is starting to crimp their refined product exports, and that's starting to really hurt the diesel fuel market. Not only that is that the U.S., as I mentioned in one of our earlier phone interviews, is becoming the exporter to the world or the supplier to the world. And anything excess that, that the U.S. tries to produce in terms of diesel fuel, natural gas, and gasoline continues to get exported around the world. Right now, a lot of it's going into the Latin American market as well as Europe. And desolate stocks are at a 42-year low right now in the, in the East Coast or up in the Northeast. We're in a bad situation here, Mike. We're in a bad situation, Darren. And when I hear figures from this administration talking, they, they say they're for all of the above. We need to increase energy production. And then we get news here like a few weeks ago, 16 Democratic lawmakers sent a letter to insurance firms asking them to stop insuring fossil fuel projects. From your position in the industry, working with these folks on a day-to-day -day basis, are crude producers, fossil fuel producers, feeling political pressure in this environment despite these high prices? Oh, Mike, this has happened since day one of this administration. Uh, as soon as they took office, we were already hearing 
reports that banks are being told not to lend money to fossil fuel producers or dirty carbon producers. Refineries were immediately shutting down and, and turning into storage terminals um, late last year. Any time of a hurricane, give them a great excuse just to shut down and not put the money back into those refineries. Um, and now, I, even this morning, there's reports that the shell production is not growing very fast in Texas because some of them are still having trouble uh, finding lending sources. They're having to go to non-traditional sources other than banks. So, Darren, I can't imagine that's a way to find a solution for $5.75 diesel fuel. Where do you see this market headed from the retail perspective? Our, our listeners out there across the country, retail gas prices, diesel prices elevated for the foreseeable future? No, oh, they're going to stay elevated, and, and our administration just continues to make it worse. Uh, I don't know if you've heard already this morning that the Biden administration launches a plan uh, or announced a plan to already start refilling the SPR reserve this fall. Just six weeks ago, they came out and said that they're going to start selling oil out of the SPR to try and lower prices for gasoline and diesel fuel. And that has not been working. And now they come out and announce that they're going to try and start refilling it. That's only going to make the situation tighter uh, as everybody's, you know, fighting for oil. Now, you know, their logic is that, hey, it's going to guarantee uh, production revenue for our shell oil producers. They're going to continue to be able to supply this product. Um, but you know what? If they would give them the right tools right now, they'd be able to produce the product themselves. As we become the supplier for the world, Darren, what sort of infrastructure changes, what sort of impact might we notice here in the center part of the country? Are we going to see a lot more of our fuels making their way to the coasts for export? Yeah, you're starting to see that now. Huge basis differentials between Group 3 market, uh, Chicago, and, and the East Coast. For example, out on that New York Harbor might be trading at 76 cents a gallon over the lead futures where the group three market might be only trading at 30 cents over uh, the nearby futures. So there's a huge opportunity to kind of arbitrage fuel towards the east. And I don't know how they're gonna do it at this time just because you can't get rail cars, you can't hardly get enough truck drivers. And I don't think you can load ships into the Great Lakes and take it out through the St. Lawrence Seaway to get it there in, in a feasible fashion. And I also got to point out that it's very, very risky, and nobody wants to do it right now to move fuel even from the Gulf Coast to the East Coast because the diesel fuel market is so inverted, meaning the nearby price is about a dollar twenty higher than this fall's price. And they're afraid that if they start moving fuel even up the Colonial Pipeline, they can't get it hedged. You could have a basis price crash or a flat price crash uh, out of nowhere. And then there's risk departments are saying, look, that's just too much risk for us right now. So the problem continues to compound itself. What does this look like as this problem unwinds, which eventually it will, right, Darren? Things will revert to some kind of normalcy? Well, eventually. But I think what it's going to take is prices so high that it's actually going to destroy demand. And I, I don't know where that's going to end up at because, you know, you just can't increase production enough we can't produce enough diesel fuel and if we start trying to produce enough diesel fuel uh, then you're starting to hurt the gasoline situation and that's already starting to show up in the gasoline gasoline stocks continue to get pulled down gasoline demand is not that great it's okay but we've had really poor weather and you wait till this weather straightens out diesel diesel fuel demand here in the midwest will really take off and then you'll see the basis levels firm in that group three and Chicago market, and then gasoline demand will also take off with it with the better weather. So, you know, it's just going to be a tough summer all the way through. And not to mention, you know, you come out yesterday or even this morning, you've got, uh, um, who is it, that speaker for Biden, Pisaki? She came out and uh, uh, said that Biden will continue to call Americans who do not support him extremist. So, you know, What's that tell you about your administration in trying to support the American people? 
Yeah, exactly. If if are, are you an extremist for trying to increase energy production here in this country? I mean, that's hard to believe, but that's what it sounds like. Darren, I want to circle back very quickly to your conversation about demand diesel at 550 on road diesel. Are you starting to see that drag down overall demand in that space? We're starting to see some demand destruction, uh, but you're also reaching a point to where you can't kill it much harder than what you've already done with last month's prices. I mean, you're already hearing uh, interesting reports on Twitter. Hey, my feed truck drivers now only driving four days a week and eight hours a day instead of five days a week, uh, you know, at 10 hours a day because of the high feed costs. Uh, so that's also limiting diesel fuel demand. You're also seeing that some of these smaller trucking firms are just getting hammered in, in their freight rates because they can't keep up with the fuel surcharges fast enough. Uh, but the bigger freight rate companies continue to do all okay, and you're seeing some of those report record earnings. Right. With record earnings and with the impending demand surge as U.S. farmers enter planting, Darren, I'm wondering if I'm a grower out there and maybe my diesel tank is half full and I've been holding off because it's very pricey to get it filled, would your advice be own the physical now, get it in, get it shipped? Is, are you concerned about availability this summer? <laughs> You know, I don't know if I'm concerned about the availability as I am the price. Um, it seems like things will get tighter just because any excess product we have will get exported. But you just don't see the product getting moved up the Colonial, up that East Coast very quickly because of the inverted price problems. Here in the Midwest, we'll, we'll probably be very okay with supply, but it's going to be a price issue. Any thoughts as to where this price could go on diesel, Darren? I know we're, we're talking crazy numbers here, but it, anything we should prepare ourselves for, diesel with a six in front of it? It's very possible. I know Tom Close of Opus already admit, mentioned something of $6 diesel fuel and perhaps even $8. I really don't know where it could go or, or, or how the market would handle something like that at this time. It is going to be a volatile summer. A lot of factors to keep an eye on, folks, as you get ready to, to head out to the field for planting season. I want to thank Darren Domi, Managing Director at the Powerline Group. Darren, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today and talk with us. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. And folks, stick with us. We'll continue this market conversation with Arlen Suderman of Stonex when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough 5EC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, and Kochia. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the grain markets here so far on this Thursday, we see the wheat markets, the upside leader after being strong in the overnight trade, with soybeans also sharply higher with good strength in bean meal, while the corn market is relatively firm. 
Weekly export sales and shipments, 59.9 million bushels of corn, 42 million bushels of soybeans, and 6 million bushels of wheat. Those are old and new crop sales combined. China was the featured buyer of U.S. corn and soybeans for the week. We also saw Spain step in to be the featured buyer of grain sorghum. As with Ukraine out of the world export situation, we're seeing more European countries come to the U.S. for grain sorghum. So Spain, the top buyer last Last week. Now looking as well, export shipment pace was strong for corn, well above the 50.8 million needed each week to achieve USDA's export estimate, while soybean shipments were a bit below the uh, needed weekly number for USDA's export estimate. Overall, though, we see these markets responding well in the face of yesterday's interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve. Currently on the trade, we see July quart up one, 795 and a quarter. July beans up 21 and a quarter, 1661 and three quarters. Bean meal for May up 680 a ton, 435.10. May bean oil down 58 points, 86.50. July Chicago wheat 22 and three quarters higher, 1099 and a quarter. July Kansas City wheat up 28 and a half, 1151 and three quarters. Spring wheat for July. July that is currently trading its way higher as well. That is up 14 and a half, 1191 at three quarters. Hogs continue to be higher with May up 17, 102.77. Cattle are lower with June live cattle down 10, 134.72. June crude oil up 281 a barrel, 110.62. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen, we just heard from Darren Domi there in segment two from the Powerline Group about the very tight supply situation in the energy space. And of course, that's a theme we've seen playing out broadly across commodities as a whole. For an update on the commodity ecosystem, joining me now is Arlen Suderman. He is the chief economist, chief commodities economist at Stonex. Arlen, thanks for taking thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. You bet, Mike. Good to be here once again, and you're exactly right. The commodity sector is tight. That makes it very attractive also for fund managers looking for a place to hedge their portfolios against the eroding values of inflation. So it's kind of a double support factor there. Doesn't mean we go up every day, but it does mean the breaks tend to be bought, and overall we've been trending higher. And we are trending much higher today in hard red KC wheat. Arlen, what is going on there? Is this just the trade growing more concerned about dryness? Yeah, we saw a big pullback uh, previously because of uh, the re anticipated rains in the plains and some areas, primarily in the eastern plains belt, did see some rains. Uh, but now that uh, we've kind of got the system moved through, we're seeing that so much of the belt missed out on the rains and uh, that the outlook going forward looks pretty dry for the next two weeks for those areas. And this is a critical time for development. Yes, some dry areas did benefit, but there's a lot of areas that haven't had hardly any rain now since October uh, that really missed out once again. And those that did get rains, it really wasn't enough to break the drought. And the outlook is going dry again with hot temperatures in the 90s coming with winds with it. That's going to just shrivel that wheat up as it uh, tries to develop. And so we're getting that support there. 
particularly in the absence of Ukraine, from making any major exports and with uh, supplies among the other major exporters relatively tight. Well, and that's been in the news today, or in the news this week, Arlen, the, the tight crop in India. They've announced they, they might not have the crop they were anticipating. Uh, do you think the tightness in India's wheat supply is going to be enough to bring international buyers to U.S. wheat? Well, there's, we're getting two stories there. First, we had the Bloomberg story came out yesterday saying that India was considering curbing exports because of the problems that they had with their crop of excessive heat during the grain fill stage of development. But then India came out uh, later and said, well, yes, we are seeing a smaller crop, but we have plenty of wheat in storage, so we have no plans at this point of curbing exports. So we'll have to see how that plays out, whether they allow the exports or not. If they do allow the exports, I think it uh, allows us to fill a lot of that gap left by Ukraine because India traditionally is not a big exporter, and they could export up to 10 million metric tons of wheat this year. If they do curb those exports, then that does leave things tighter, trying to fill the gap left by Ukraine's absence, and we could see some more business come to the United States. But right now, the U.S. market's pricing us out of the export market, and depending on what happens in the plains with the hard red winter wheat crop and the spring wheat crop trying to get planted, uh, that may be, end up being the appropriate thing to do. And Arlen, you mentioned there were, we're priced out of the international market. And I was looking at the dollar after the Fed's announcement yesterday. This dollar value continues to strengthen. Where do you see the value of the dollar going as these, these rate hikes and this inflation concern continues to develop? Yeah, the dollar's going up for a couple of reasons, and last week it hit new 19-year highs. So that is a significant factor for commodities as we try to compete on the world market. It, it's a factor of two things. You mentioned the rate hikes here in the United States, getting um, more attractive rates in many other places of the world, like Europe and Japan, etc. And the other is the problems that we're seeing in Europe, as that country continues to struggle with its economy, um, barely getting any growth. And uh, so with the Ukraine war, that's impacting Ukraine's econ excuse me, Europe's economy a little bit more directly as well. So as the euro struggles, that ends up pushing more demand to the U.S. dollar. So that combination of having attractive interest rates relative to other major economies and the fact that the eurozone is struggling so much, particularly with the war, both are factors driving demand toward the dollar and uh, possibly the new 19-year highs going forward. Yeah, it is something else to watch. And Arlen, as we think about this higher dollar value, is it to the point dollar index at 103, 105, whatever it is, is that high enough in this world of inflation that international buyers are going to step back and, and look for other places with better currency conversions? Yeah, that's an excellent question because it is a factor. But how much of a factor depends on which commodity you're talking about. For a commodity like wheat, which is grown in many different places of the world, and most of those other places that are exporters have much weaker currencies, making them more competitive, it hurts wheat exports uh, significantly to have a strong dollar. Uh, something like corn or soybeans, where there's many, many fewer suppliers that we compete against, it's a factor but not to the same extent. And it is, again, meat. When there's a lot of meat exporters in the world, like wheat, it does affect the meat export uh, competitiveness, so that's a factor there. Arlen, another market that is really moving today is old crop soybeans. These summer months up 12 to 17 cents in beans. New crop up a little bit, 6 to 7 cents there on, on new beans. Where do, you, where do you see this strength coming from today? Well, I think it's a realization of the trade of what we've been saying. Back in first week of February, I uh, raised my export target to 2.225 billion bushels. And that was about 150 million bushels above where USDA was at when I saw how short the South American crop was. Now USDA is moving in that direction. And if we look at USDA's current export target of 2.115 billion bushels, Current export sales exceed the seasonal total, year-to-date total needed to hit that target by 128 million bushels. 
export shipments are moving in that direction as well. Now, we expect to see Brazil continue to export through the summer, but as we go through the summer, we're going to start taking a larger and larger share of those global export market again as Brazil supplies get tight and its basis really starts to strengthen. So I think we're going to have a strong summer, and with the sales levels of what they are, end users understand that, the market's starting to understand that, and we're likely going to see those end stocks estimates move ever closer to that 200 million bushel level and probably see stronger export sales in the next marketing year as well. And so the market now is anticipating that. So with the planning delays we have and some, not all, but some forecasts calling for a hot, dry summer in the Midwest, the soybean market is starting to wake up to the risks that lie ahead of it. Yeah, it certainly seems like it is. Arlen, as you think about that international demand, that that strong export pace that we're seeing, is it predominantly coming from China and Southeast Asia, or are we really seeing demand pick up globally? Well, China being the, the kind of the 800-pound elephant in the room, so to speak, uh, it's the one that... Uh, uh, dominates the export market, so it's a factor. But there's other countries that are a significant factor as well, including Mexico, which is one of our larger buyers of soybeans as well as corn. Um, so uh, demand continues to grow in the world. USDA uh, has accounted for the loss in South American production to some extent to, by simply lowering Chinese demand. And there are reasons for Chinese demand to be soft with what's happening in the hog herd, but I think they've overdone it to the downside. And I think they're going to end up having to increase that chi those Chinese imports once again and with more of it coming from the United States. Arlen, you also were highlighting some of the results from the export sales report released this morning on Twitter, and you noted that Spain was the largest buyer of U.S. grain sorghum this past week. We've seen big sales of sorghum to China in the past. Is this purchase by Spain an indication that Europe might be looking more to sorghum here to fill its grain needs? Yeah, one of the things that Europe does, since it doesn't like GMO corn, is when it runs short of feed supplies, it will come to the United States for our grain sorghum, which doesn't have GMO issues. Um, we have seen some purchases of cargoes of U.S. corn because to fill the deficit of feed needs in Europe with the absence of Ukraine being able to ship corn to Europe. Um, and I've been anticipating that we would see more demand for U.S. grain sorghum, and we're starting to see that now. Until now, China has pretty well dominated the U.S. grain sorghum market. I think Europe's going to start taking a larger share of that now as well. So I think that'll provide some support. Arlen, we talked briefly there about the meat market. We're heading into the grilling season. Summer is almost on us. What's your take on the cattle price situation? Where are live cattle going to go from here, do you think? Well, we continue to be in one of those situations where the cash cattle market is determined by simply what the packers want to pay. Um, because the supply of cattle available slaughter is bigger than what the capacity of the packers is. So it's kind of a charity payment, and I know that angers and aggravates the feeders to a great extent on some of the reasons for that. So right now they're continuing to pay around 140 in the south and 145 to 146 in the north, um, even though we're seeing some higher supplies. Now we've seen tremendous cow slaughter over the past year and increased heifer slaughter as well. We're anticipating as we get into the fourth quarter of this year is when we start to see the decrease in supplies of fed cattle available for the feedlots. And then as we go into the next couple of years, I think we're going to see those tightening of supplies. The packers will lose some of their control. Um, but unfortunately, it also means we'll probably have to import more beef in order to meet domestic demand. All right, lots to come in the meat space here as summer gets underway. Our thanks to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us. When we return, we're going to recap a panel I heard on Tuesday with the moderator for discussing what environmental groups are looking for when the new farm bill gets written in 2023. So stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number 2 diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. As I've mentioned a couple of times here this past week, I have been in Washington, D.C. for the National Association of Farm Broadcasters annual Washington Watch event. This was the first year I've had the opportunity to attend and convene with all these other farm broadcasters from around the country and connect with the political leaders. And I tell you, folks, it was eye-opening. On Tuesday, we had the opportunity, I guess I had the opportunity to moderate a panel, and it was entitled, What the Non-Agriculture community wants in the next farm bill. When we discuss the farm bill a lot on AOA or perhaps in the farm media, we discuss it from the, the the perspective of the American grower, right? The American farmer, you know, in some cases, oftentimes we, we come at it from the supply side as we're discussing nutrient funding, USDA school lunches and all of that sort of thing. But there is an entire collection of advocates and lobbyists who are working in Washington, D.C. to get their views into the Farm Bill and to help shape the way it guides behavior on farms. And so we had four of those folks come and join us for this panel. We were joined by Scott Faber. He's a senior vice president at the Environmental Working Group. Kieran Kennedy was the director or is the director of People and Nature at the Sierra Club. Laura Bryant uh, promotes soil health practices. She's very focused on water issue with the NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council, and Ben Thomas, the Senior Policy Director for Climate Smart Agriculture at the Environmental Defense Fund. So we had EWG, EDF, NRDC, and the Sierra Club all in the room talking to farmers. And when I asked them first what their organization's top policy was as they approached the 2023 Farm Bill, EDF, Environmental Defense Fund, said methane. Targeting that and getting a handle on methane emissions in agriculture is their number one goal. And Environmental Working Group, Scott Faber, echoed that. He said, in addition to methane, we've got to be concerned with nitrous oxide and we need to be working on the climate. And NRDC said water issues were their top priority, and they wanted to see a more holistic farm bill that ties in some other factors that we need to have in mind. And the Sierra Club, uh, very concerned with forestry, We're really looking to, to maintain the value of these old growth forests. A lot of what this group discussed was of a similar mindset to the things we're discussing in agriculture every day. We were not that far from a production ag policy standpoint to an environmental standpoint with one key area of disagreement, and that was biofuels. We heard from this group, three of them, Kieran at the Sierra Club, uh, Laura at the NRDC, and Ben Thomas at EDF, all believe that there is a way that biofuels can be a part of this large-scale fuel decarbonization program that this administration is working on. However, Scott Faber at the Environmental Working Group disagreed with that very, very strongly. He came out swinging on biofuels, is not a fan, made several comments about them, and I wanted to be sure you heard it from Scott so I'm not misrepresenting his argument. Let's go ahead and play Scott's comments about biofuels in the 2023 Farm Bill. Well, I have a, I have a long rec track record on, on this issue, as, as some folks know, so let me just say, uh, nothing I'm gonna say is gonna make you happy. Um, uh, so I, I think it's clear that the RFS has been a failure. It's been a failure in that it's failed to set out the goals that Congress created for the RFS in 2005 and 2007. In particular, the RFS has not led to the development and proliferation of second generation biofuels that reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50 or 60% when compared to the gasoline baseline. That is by definition a failure. And it's, and, uh, in light of the fact that electric vehicles are now being widely adopted, I think it's time to say what needs to be said, which is that corn ethanol is a dead-end fuel. Maybe there's a role for biofuels and long-haul transport or other parts of the economy, but as, as we quickly move from using liquid fuels to electric vehicles, there's not a place in our, and gonna be in our fuel mix for, for corn ethanol. And, it, and the last thing I'll say is this, is that in a policy that encourages farmers to plow up grasslands or other crops that don't use much nitrogen and replace them with a crop that uses a lot of nitrogen is not good for the climate. 
needless to say, Scott's comments about that was was akin to, to pulling the pin on a grenade in a room full of farm broadcasters. There was a lot of pushback on some of his assumptions, but I wanted you to hear that. I wanted our audience to listen to that comment because despite the prices we're all paying at the retail level for fuel right now, we spoke about that with Darren, there's not a lot of relief coming. For a lot of us out here in the countryside, biofuels look to be a way we could add more liquid fuels into the overall fuel supply. And it's in from my perspective, it's a win-win. We're growing American energy, we're enhancing energy security, and we're you know, putting more dollars in rural America, which it, I, I believe is a win. However, as we get to Washington, D.C., as these discussions accelerate, we heard it from Darren, this push towards EVs is real. And there are folks who are very, very committed to this policy. And I would like to get Scott here on the program at some point to have a good discussion with him because I'm curious as to where he's going to get batteries big enough to power a container ship across the ocean. But they believe this is coming. And so the push largely as we go out here over the next couple of years, obviously two, two years left under President Biden for sure. And we'll see what happens in November as to the more broad political landscape. But the notions that, that Scott Faber has about biofuels, the failure, as he called it, of corn ethanol, those he's not alone in Washington, D.C. I get comments from listeners, why do we talk about biofuels so much? And that's because we have seen, in my mind, the carbon intensity of corn come down. We've seen the research that shows that corn ethanol is moving in the right direction from an environmental perspective. If you want to decarbonize the fuel supply, corn ethanol, soy biodiesel, more of the re renewable diesels, all are getting to a point they can actually do that. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, a month ago maybe, with, with BJ from Clear Flame Engines. The, the idea that we can run ethanol in effectively a diesel engine and still get power, all of that I think is going to be crucial for rural American security, energy security long term. But we are going to have to have a lot of conversations with folks like Scott Faber about biofuel policy over the next two years. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in to AOA today. On tomorrow's show, we are going to be talking with Ken Zuckerberg from Kobeck. We're going to talk about ethanol and vegetable oil, and we'll be joined by Glenn Tonser from K-State looking at meat demand in the month of April. We'll see you on Friday for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> a heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.